Hello, this is R.J. Deacon, reading the Supreme Court of the United States Opinion Syllabus in Little Sisters of the Poor, Saints Peter and Paul Home, versus Pennsylvania, certiorari at the United States Court of Appeals for the Third Circuit. Argued May 6, 2020. Decided July 8, 2020. The Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act of 2010, ACA, requires covered employers to provide women with preventative care and screenings without any cost-sharing requirements, and relies on preventative care guidelines supported by the Health Resource and Services Administration, HRSA, to determine what preventative care and screenings includes. That's 48 U.S.C. Section 300GG-13A4. Those guidelines mandate that health plans provide coverage for all Food and Drug Administration-approved contraceptive methods, when the Departments of Health and Human Services, Labor, and the Treasury incorporated the guidelines, they also gave HRSA the discretion to exempt religious employers, such as churches, from providing contraceptive coverage. Later, the departments also promulgated a rule accommodating qualifying religious organizations that allowed them to opt out of coverage by self-certifying that they meet certain criteria to their health insurance issuer, which would then exclude exclude contraceptive coverage from the employer's plan and provide participants with separate payments for contraceptive services without imposing any cost-sharing requirements. Religious entities challenged the rules under the Religious Freedom and Restoration Act of 1993, RIFRA, in Burwell v. Hobby Lobby Stores, Incorporated. This court held that the contraceptive mandate substantially burdened the free exercise of closely held corporations as with sincerely held religious beliefs, objections to providing their employees with certain methods of contraception. And in Zubik versus Burwell, this court opted to remain remand without deciding the RIFRA question in cases challenging the self-certification accommodation so that the parties could develop an approach that would accommodate employers' concerns while providing women full and equal coverage. Under Zubik's direction, and in light of Hobby Lobby's holding, the departments promulgated two interim final rules, IFRs. The first significantly expanded the church's exemption to include an employer that objects based on its sincerely held religious beliefs to its establishing, maintaining, providing, offering, or arranging for coverage or payments for some or all contraceptive services. The second created a similar moral exemption for employers with sincerely held moral objections to providing some or all forms of contraceptive coverage. The departments requested post-promulgation comments on both IFRs. Pennsylvania sued, alleging that the IFRs were procedurally and substantively invalid under the Administrative Procedure Act. After the department issued final rules responding to post-promulgation comments, but leaving the IFRs largely intact, New Jersey joined Pennsylvania's suit. Together, they filed an amended complaint alleging that the rules were substantively unlawful because the departments lacked statutory authority under either the ACA or RIFRA to promulgate the exemptions. They also argued that the rules were procedurally defective because the departments failed to comply with the APA's notice and comment procedures. The district court issued a preliminary nationwide injunction against the implementation of the final rules, and the Third Circuit affirmed. 
The uh, Supreme Court held the decision below as reversed and remanded, and Justice Thomas delivered the opinion of the court. The departments, the departments had the authority under the ACA to promulgate the reg religious and moral exemptions. As legal authority for both exemptions, the departments invoke Section 300GG-13A4, which states that group health plans must provide women with preventative care and screenings, as provided for in comprehensive guidelines supported by the HRSA. The pivotal phrase, as provided for, grants sweeping authority to HRSA to define the preventative care that applicable health plans must cover. That same grant of authority empowers it to identify and create exemptions from its own guidelines. The fundamental principle of statutory interpretation that absent provisions cannot be supplied by the courts, that's Rotsky versus Clem, applies not only to adding terms not found in the statute, but also to imposing limits on an agency's discretion that are not supported by the text. See Wyatt versus Energy Action Ed Foundation, um, concerns that the exemptions thwart Congress's intent by making it sufficiently harder for interested women to obtain seamless access to contraception without cost sharing cannot justify, justify supplanting the text's plain meaning. Even if such concerns are legitimate, they are more properly directed at the regulatory mechanism that Congress put in place. Because the ACA provided for a basis for both exemptions, the court need not decide whether RIFRA independently compelled the department's solution. However, the argument that the departments could not consider RIFRA at all is without merit. It is clear from the face of the statute that the contraceptive mandate is capable of violating RIFRA. The ACA does not explicitly exempt RIFRA, and the regulations implementing the contraceptive mandate qualify as federal law, or the implementation of federal law under RIFRA. That's uh, section 2000BB-3A. Additionally, this court stated in Hobby Lobby that the mandate violated RIFRA as applied to entities with complicity-based objections. And both Hobby Lobby and Zubik instructed the departments to consider RIFRA going forward. Moreover, in light of the basic requirements of the rulemaking process, the department's failure to discuss RIFRA at all when formulating their solution would make them susceptible to claims that the rules were arbitrary and capricious for failing to consider an important aspect of the problem. The rules promulgating the exemptions are free from procedural defects. Respondents claim that because the final rules were preceded by a document entitled Interim Final Rules with request for comments instead of general notice of proposed rulemaking, they are procedurally invalid under the APA. The IFR's request for comments readily satisfy the APA notice requirements, and even assuming that the APA requires an agency to publish a document entitled Notice of Proposed Rulemaking, there was no procedural error. Here, that's uh, 5 U.S.C. Section 76, or Section 706. Uh, pointing to the fact that the final rules made only minor alterations to the IFRs, respondents also contend that the final rules are procedurally invalid because nothing in the record suggests that the departments maintained an open mind during the post-promulgation process. 
the open-mindedness test has no basis in the APA. Each of the APA's procedural requirements was satisfied. The IFRs provided sufficient notice, Section 553B, the departments gave interested persons an opportunity to participate in their rulemaking through submission of written data or views or arguments, Section 553C. The final rules contained a concise general statement of their basis and purpose, and they were published more than 30 days before they became effective, Section 553D. The decision below is reversed and remanded. Justice Thomas delivered the opinion of the court, in which Chief Justice Roberts and Justices Alito, Gorsuch, and Kavanaugh joined. Justice Alito filed a concurring opinion, in which Justice Gorsuch joined. Justice Kagan filed an opinion concurring in the judgment, in which Justices or Justice Breyer joined. Justice Ginsburg filed a dissenting opinion, in which Justice Sotomayor joined. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to get a hold of me, we can be reached at rhodesscholar80 at gmail.com. That's R-O-A-D-S and the number eight zero.